really leverage the fact that we're live, right? We just spent right. all this time and money transporting our fleshy bags of water across the town. You know, <laughs> 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 Welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elchison. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. And this week on the main discussion, we are speaking with Brent Bushnell, the CEO of 2-Bit Circus, for a conversation about the future of the experience economy. So make sure to stick around for that later on in this episode. And before we begin our weekly breakdown of the news, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone that has already given us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. And if you haven't yet, there's still time. Uh, again, all the reviews really do help the show grow uh, and get discovered. So thank you in advance for all of those kind reviews. And with that, Adam, shall we do what we do best and break down the biggest headlines of the week? Yeah. There's a lot of news to talk about this there, week. It's a big week of news. Um, <laughs> Everybody's getting it in before the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Everybody wants us to kind of uh, take two weeks off and not to think about anything. Well, the biggest news of the week is that the FTC and a coalition of 47 other state attorney generals have filed a suit against Facebook uh, to essentially break them up, uh, calling them a monopoly and looking to reverse the acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp that Facebook has previously uh, made in the past. Um, so Adam, this is some pretty big news. Yeah, we've been talking about these sort of antitrust hearings. There were a lot of those congressional hearings. I feel like this has been going on forever. Um, and, but this is actually the first step in the US of the government actually taking action against a big tech company uh, in the past few years in, in, in an antitrust way. Um, so that's a big deal. Um, and it is, I think, the most aggressive sort of aggressive framing of this as well, which is there were a lot of questions after the hearings as to whether they would actually pursue breakups of uh, any companies. And, uh, you know, I think Facebook has been the one that is the most obvious, like how you would break it up because of these acquisitions. Um, and they went they're they're going for, uh, you they're know, going the for big, blood. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> first things first, I think, uh, just in case anybody is hearing about this here first, or hasn't really just seen the headlines, super important to know that this is going to take years to resolve. Yeah. Um, and that uh, it's not going to affect these platforms as, as sort of advertising uh, venues in the next uh, few years. It might actually even be good uh, for for advertisers in the long run. In a worst case scenario, I don't know. I'm saying worst case because it's worst case for Facebook. It might not be worst case <laughs> if, if, if they are broken up into separate companies. That might actually increase advertising inventory in the long run. So like... Mm -hmm. It, there's some trade-offs here. It would be more complex because they wouldn't all be the same, you know, platform um, that you wouldn't be able to buy ads on one platform anymore. But it might increase inventory. It might. It definitely would increase competition, which would be the the you know the desired result. Yep. Um, so you know, I don't think from a, a brand perspective, a don't worry about it right now. You know, we'll we'll hear about it as it develops. It's going to take years, um, and and B, even if they are broken up, it's not a, a disaster. It's just we just have to sort of reevaluate what the market's going to look like if that does happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll be keeping our eyes on this. Definitely be checking back in uh, more on the story how it develops over these next couple of months and even years. And with that, I want to transition to our second 
item of the week. Uh, we had some late breaking news last another week. bombshell. Another bombshell, yes, <laughs> uh, in the in the streaming world, and that is with Warner Bros. They have announced that they're going to debut all of their 2021 releases simultaneously, both in theater and on HBO Max. Uh, of course, that is if theaters are open in whatever capacity that is uh, next year. So this is a pretty big step for a you know a, a movie studio essentially you know shattering whatever is left of the theatrical window re- release um, you know process that we're so accustomed to. Yeah, it's um, it is it is a big deal, um, and uh, I think they you know they had announced they were doing this for Wonder Woman 1984, which is coming out on Christmas Day, um, and they're basically just extending that strategy through all of 2021. You know, on one hand, it is a huge deal. On the other hand, it's a little. It, it's like, uh, what was the other strategy going to be? Uh, which was to do it sort of, sort of piecemeal, like one by one. Um, and I do think they, you know, they, they benefit a little bit by saying this up front. It is going to help HBO Max, which, yeah. uh, you know, I, I personally think is great. Um, I've been watching a lot of HBO Max, but it has been struggling a little bit as a as a fledgling um, streaming service, uh, and especially both in migrating users from the old HBO Go, HBO Now, HBO Cable subscriptions to Max has been a challenge, um, and also uh, getting you know new uh, net new subscribers. So this will definitely motivate people to figure that out, right? Because um, for fifteen dollars a month, which in New York is the cost of a single movie ticket, yep. uh, you uh, you will get these you know Warner Brothers blockbusters uh, in your home. And um, have they confirmed that that is the case that it's not going to be an extra charge like Disney did for like Mulan would be like you know $30 for an early early release correct there will be no additional charge this is just part of your HBO Max subscription they are only available for 30 days so if you miss them they are going to go through a transactional VOD window where they will go to iTunes and Amazon and and whatever Um, they will go through the rest of the windows also big caveat this is only happening in the US because HBO Max currently is only in the US Mm -hmm. so everywhere else in the world they're still doing a normal normal set of windows normal theatrical releases this is kind of opening pandora's box and while they say it's only for the pandemic currently or because you know it's because of the pandemic i don't know if it's something that you know consumers are going to want to have go away because uh, to your point this content you know originally it used to be in movie theaters but now it's like we're reaching users in the different ways that they, they like to consume so i don't know you know there, yeah there might, there might I, not be any any going back once it's out there <laughs> I I think there there is no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, I I I think that consumer expectations will 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 be set and different a year yep. from now. Um, I think the other studios will have to respond in some way. This certainly makes uh, you know D- Disney has been sort of doing a one by one strategy of like okay they tried this premium thing with Mulan, the new Pixar movie Soul they're releasing on Christmas Day without an mm-hmm. additional charge on Disney Plus. As we record um, on Thursday, December 10th, this afternoon, Disney is actually having an investor uh, meeting uh, that they will probably disclose their reaction to this and their plans for their 2021 slate. Um, yep. They have reiterated that Black Widow will be going to theaters. Now, does that also mean it might show up on Disney Plus sooner than expected? Maybe. Um, I think we'll know more this afternoon and we'll certainly talk to you about that next week Mm -hmm. i'm just interested in understand like for the studios that that don't have a streaming service like how are they like are they going to be looking at netflix as like can we do some sort of exclusive deal or these other streaming services as a way to like get their content highlighted um and have some sort of revenue come in that way i don't know 
Honestly, I think I think it, it can be great for them potentially because now you're going to have, um, in response to this, you're going to see people like Netflix and Amazon, Disney obviously, but Disney yeah. has their own you know their own set of, of Hulu and Disney Plus to, to put things on. Um, but uh, but you you'll have Netflix and Amazon and Apple looking around and saying, hey, we need something to compete with uh, these Warner movies, these super high budget Warner movies. Uh, so I think they will be in the market for blockbuster films to help sort of ramp up the blockbuster ness of their services <laughs> for next year. The other thing is the existential question of how movie studios work when they, they don't have these blockbuster theatrical releases that can make billions of dollars globally. Right. Um, it, it upsets the economics of a movie studio. Right. Yeah. You, I mean, you could see the CEO of AT&T being like, your content is now a loss leader to get people onto the larger AT&T plan. <laughs> the whole thing is also couched in the existential question of why AT&T found themselves owning a movie studio in the first place. <laughs> True, but, that's a good point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that that is that they still don't have a great answer uh, for that. Uh, to your point, like they're not, uh, you get HBO Max for free if you have certain AT&T wireless plans, but that's not... That's not a super sound long-term strategy uh, for spending <laughs> for spending this much money producing blockbuster movies. Uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it's um, obviously something we'll be watching closely. Uh, but uh, basically, where we're going is, uh, and I think we all knew this, but it's just another shoe to drop in that that Hollywood a couple of years from now is going to look very different uh, than mm -hmm. it did uh, previously. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of AT&T, uh, they actually just sold their anime streaming service, Crunchyroll, uh, to Sony. It has about 3 million users for a global user base uh, and is a pretty good niche, I think, you know, for, for Sony to pick up. And it's pretty understandable why AT&T would want to offload the streaming service as they have to really focus all of their resources on making HBO Max a success as that is their big bet for, for streaming. Yeah, uh, you know, Crunchyroll is kind of a, uh, a sleeper hit. It is not widely discussed, but it is a pretty popular um, streaming service for anime. Um, they also, it, they've done a really good job of like, they've also bundled in like uh, digital manga subscriptions, which are Japanese comic books, if you're not familiar. Yep. Um, so it, and, and they also have a store and, 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 and swag and stuff like that. So they, they've actually, you know, if you are interested in that sort of like Japanese nerd culture for uh for lack of a better word it is uh which which does have a pretty big global audience it'll be interesting to see uh what sony does with that um they're really sort of you know consolidating a um a lead there on on that and it you know as a japanese company it makes sense uh that they see the value there in exporting that globally it'll be interesting to see what they do uh in the long run yeah them. and to wrap up our streaming pack news section this week rivals discovery and a e networks forge a streaming alliance uh so following up from the announcement last week of the discovery plus uh, streaming service, you know, we are now going to have the convergence of two networks that have long been fierce TV rivals and really battling for the attention for unscripted programming in basic cable. It was interesting that this sort of like wasn't discussed really on stage uh, when Discovery was making the announcement, but came right. out afterwards that there is going to be a significant number of programming from A&E, which also owns um, networks like Lifetime, for example, um, will be added into the Discovery Plus streaming platform, um, which 
you know, it's it's interesting. They, they kind of have, I think, done this roll-up of basic cable channels. Uh, and uh, that was where, you know, the, a lot of those channels were the one thing that was missing from uh, from modern streaming services. Yep. And now they're all in one place, uh, which I think <laughs> makes a lot of sense as a go-to-market strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with that, we're going to transition into the main conversation of the week, where we'll be speaking with Brent Bushnell, the CEO of 2-Bit Circus, all about the future of experiences. Welcome to this week's main conversation. Uh, with us, we have Brent Bushnell, the CEO of 2-Bit Circus, uh, which is a modern high-tech circus exploring the future of fun. Uh, and today, we're talking with Brent about the future of the experience economy. So Brent, welcome to Floor 9. Thanks so much for having us, you guys. Oh, we're, we're glad to be talking to you again. You know, it seems like just yesterday we were at CES discussing the future of play with you uh, on our panel. Gosh, you know, I can't, when I think back to that, you know, that was January, right? That feels like so much longer ago than just <laughs> earlier this year, you know, I mean, <laughs> what a different, what a different time of life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, com completely. Um, but for our listeners that may have not been in the room or have not heard of you before, um, can you just give a little bit of background on yourself and the company and, you know, how you started creating uh, experiences in this world that you live in? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my background's engineering, computer science and electrical, but I've been an entrepreneur all my life. And uh, I met my co-founder, Eric Gradman, God, over a decade ago now, which is just amazing to say. Uh, but we instantly started making interactive art. Uh, you know, we were, we were, you know, annoyed even then that everybody was on Facebook and on their, you know, uh, phones and like not together live. And we really right. were obsessed with, with live experience. And, uh, so we started making interactive art we could take to parties and the art turned into games and the parties got bigger and all of a sudden we were doing the Super Bowl and the Olympics with huge brands and you know launching virtual reality and just got you know kind of in the you know in the mix of, mm -hmm. of new technology and entertainment particularly as it applied to live experience um, and uh, you know after doing that for everybody else and for tons of brands for years we finally said let's do it for ourselves uh, so we <laughs> uh, did a, a traveling carnival for two years. 120,000 square foot monster carnival because we didn't know how much work that was going to be. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we finally opened up uh, what we call a micro amusement park, uh, which mm -hmm. is a 50,000 square foot building uh, in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. Uh, we opened it in 2018. Uh, we closed it uh, as a result of the pandemic in um, on March 14th couple of days mm -hmm. before the city uh, mandated that we had to close. Um, and, you know, we've, we've made all the hard uh, changes so that we'll be able to reopen it um, whenever we're allowed to. But um, we are in one of the categories most hit uh, right. by, by, by uh, the, the pandemic because, you know, it's, it's a huge place. We can fit a thousand people in there. That brings me, I think, to the first question of the show is that, you know, speaking and thinking about experiences, a lot of them were were offline. Um, and I am curious, you know, as an operator of this micro amusement park that fits a thousand people, like, how did you pivot in response to the pandemic this year? Like, what were some of those strategies uh, or channels that you started to explore to figure out you know, essentially how to translate this offline experience to maybe a, a digital online experience? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... 
It's a good question. And, and, you know, the first, you know, in our, we made up the term a micro amusement park, you know, we really <laughs> wanted to distance from sort of what else was out there. Cause we really, you know, we built about half the entertainment that's in there. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a, a high tech carnival midway, there's a virtual reality arena, uh, what we call story rooms, our version of escape rooms. And there's also a hundred seat interactive game show theater. And, and that theater has got touchscreens on every table, a nice stage, some podiums on the stage. And so it's a room for interactive game shows, right? You guys were all playing together and, and, and you're doing really well, Scott. So we pull you up on stage um, and, and it's a ton of fun. We've been building and designing these interactive shows, you know, for a couple of years by the time the, the pandemic hit. And what we instantly did was push those shows out onto the internet. Um, yeah. And so it's a, you know, if you imagine a, a web browser, you know, it's broken up into four quadrants. There's a live stream for the host. There's a chat, a leaderboard, and then the bottom swaps out with all sorts of different challenges from mm -hmm. trivia to sorting games, prices, right style mechanics, uh, uh, you know, every game show you can remember versions of those game mechanics done in an interactive way. So you were, we're all playing along, uh, uh, you know, again, you're doing really well, Scott, so you get invited to join the live stream, a little Zoom <laughs> link comes to you over the browser. Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, in the beginning, you know, we're, we 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 try we move quickly, and, and so we had it up and running in March, and it was broken, and the leaderboard kept crashing, and everything <laughs> was a disaster. And then, you know, and now we've run hundreds of shows. We're sold okay. out most of next week doing holiday shows for corporate wow. events. That's super awesome. Um, how do you see that evolving as things start to open up again? Like, it's if you were thinking about it before, clearly it was always meant to be part of the product offering. So, like, how do you? Where does that go? You know let's say second half of 21? Yeah, great question. So we wanted to make sure that whatever we were working on was stuff we were gonna want post pandemic. And, and mm -hmm. this absolutely applies, right? The, the once, once we're allowed to reopen, you, you'll, be, you'll be able to come and attend live and be in the room where it's being captured and play along live, or you can you know, play along from home. So the same show will be you know, available in both places. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. And, you know, but I really think in general for our industry, uh, hybrid events is going to be a big thing. And, okay. and just like when you go to 2Bit, we have made, you know, accommodations for ADA. And if you're disabled, we've got lots of, you know, solutions. I really think that there's going to be a whole new category that will not, you know, that will continue to be at risk you know, long after many people feel like they're comfortable to go out in public. And so I think that the, you know, either at risk or, or the, the fundamental life changes that have happened, right? You, you, were, you were an LA-based company that now offers remote work. Half your employees can't come live. So if your HR person's throwing an event, you know, they, they're going to want to be able to offer a solution for both the in-person and the, and the remote work. Um, and so the, uh, you know, we think of this game show as one solution to be able to do that, but I really think there's a lot of opportunity in, in hybrid events. I want to explore this a bit further, um, talking about this idea of, of a hybrid event. You know, I think one of the questions we have here is like, do you think these digital events are going to be competitive to, you know, offline experiences? There's a little bit of a false comparison or false dichotomy I want to mm -hmm. kind of address head on. A good example is a bottle of vodka. All right. So you can have a martini at home. It'll be a martini and you'll be at home or you can have a martini in public and you will maybe if you like martinis, do either one of those things. Right. right. And, and when and you it's not because, you know, you'll go out in public for any number of reasons. Right. They might be better at making a martini. You might be going out for Adam's birthday and, and the restaurant is neutral territory. Nobody we don't have to go to anybody's house. We're not going to clean up after them. You know, it's this right. special thing. And so 
I think of entertainment that way too, right? Humans are social animals. We can see it really in stark relief right now in the middle of pandemic as everybody goes freaking nuts, not getting to see their friends. And, right. and so I think that the, uh, you know, the, the idea of like, hey, I can get it at home, so I'm not going to do it in public, it doesn't work. You know, like we're going to go out in public because we're social and, and whether you're drinking or doing entertainment or whatever, all those things are sort of there to just sort of facilitate that social interaction. Do you see like a new, I guess, like consumer channel opening up or consumer journey opening up for how people are going to actually experience these, these offline experiences? Like what role are you thinking these digital experiences are, are going to play uh, in that consumer journey? Is it going to be kind of like, like a, like a, like a new trial phase, um, you know, a, a light touch thing? Well, and this is, I think, one of the real, you know, there's so many, you know, despite all of the suffering that has happened as a result of the pandemic, there are these interesting silver linings. And I think mm-hmm. that the, the change in consumer behavior and, and the opportunities that are going to come out of it are, are some of the really big ones. Uh, and, you know, a, a conference is a good example. You know, you could throw a conference and have 5,000 people come live. And some of the folks I've talked to that have thrown conferences since have 30,000 people attending virtually, right? Wow. And so why would you stop doing that in the future, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you could now all of a sudden say, hey, it's going to be a little bit of extra work, but we're going to throw a live version, we're going to throw a, a, a digital version and be able to appeal to the whole world, you know? I mean, that is incredible. So, so I think that's a huge one. I do think that it's, you know, rather than thinking about that customer experience as a one-off moment, think mm-hmm. of it as, a, as this big ongoing relationship. And so you, you have a virtual and you have a physical offering. They're going to they're gonna engage in whichever one they can at that time, you know, and, and, some, mm-hmm. and, you know, moving your body around is expensive and it takes a lot of time. And, and you know, and, and so you can do the, the live one not as often as the virtual one, but the live one's going to be the best version, right? That's the highest resolution. Right. That's the one where you're getting all the sight, the sounds, the tastes, all of the things that, that comes with live experience. But it's also the hardest one to pull off. And so you be, by, by offering both, you're going to be able to engage with your customers sort of exactly where they are, at, you know, uh, depending on their availability. I totally agree with you that especially in the short term, the in-person experience will be the high-end one. But there are things that you can do online digitally that you can't do in the real world. And I actually think there's so much uh, room for exploration there to figure out how do we make this not seem like the low-end sort of cheap experience? How do we actually make it so that you want to do both, so that both are sort of first-class experiences in their own way? It's a really great question. And 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 for me, I you know, they're, they're different, you know? Yeah around in a wonderland with Travis with a virtual Travis Scott alone in my living room you know is so much different than being in the mosh pit (laughs) right yeah and being sweated on and all the craziness that happens with that but it's also you know that is such a you know that it's it's such a different experience you know and so I think both are interesting both are appealing uh and and I don't I don't think one you know replaces the other and, and it does actually invite for me, the, the, you know, something that I've been super focused on, which is the role of the audience. Mm. And, and, you know, if you, if you look, comedy has not well adapted to the pandemic, right? Comedy, uh, comics need an audience, right? And, 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 and being in the audience, you sort of need the audience to, to help trigger you, help give you the, 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 you know, the confirmation that that was funny or, or whatever. And, you know, I, I watched a magic show that the Geffen Playhouse put on and they did this really fascinating thing where there was the, the zoom of the, of, of the performer. And then they had 
a, you know, a five by five grid of a bunch of audience members that were in the Zoom. And then mm -hmm. there was like 6,000 people on the live stream. So there was these like three roles, mm -hmm. the live stream, the Zoom live audience and the performer. And they would cut between the Zoom live audience and the performer every now and again. And that fixed it, you know, like all of a sudden the, the existence of this little audience, even if it was yeah. a virtual audience, helped to, you know, to, to they'd cut to it for the surprise moment. And, and I think the role of the audience is something that I didn't realize was as important as it is, the live audience. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that same is true for, for the music industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to your point, a, a lot of the times the, you know, like there are two sides of that live experience, right? It's, you know, if you're in a concert, but then being there with the people around you. And I think in general, people think about the immediate, you know, people that, that they went with, but, you know, again, to your point, like when you're in a group of like you know, 3000 people at a concert, like there's like, you can feel that energy. Uh, and I think that is something that people, uh, you know, enjoy miss and obviously pay for. The one thing that I've been thinking about is, is kind of like the split between offline and online experiences is that, you know, in general, that those offline experiences are the money makers. You know, they are the the thing that the company will make you know a, a lot of money from versus like those digital events. And I guess if we start to see this like you know hybrid events or there's you know this new segment of digital events that maybe are cannibalizing some of the sales from an, from an online event, it, how are how are companies going to make up like these revenues? Well, I think you know, and Adam even already hit on this was the, the new opportunities that are also created, right? And so the personalization, if there was an AI personalizing Travis Scott's interaction with me, but that that could happen for 1 million other people, that all of a sudden changes the entertainment experience. And mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've done immersive theater before, like Sleep No More, or one of those mm -hmm. things. Oh yeah. But, you know, immersive theater, rather than sitting in a seat facing the stage, Right, you're, you're, you're exploring all around. And the super magical moments are when an actor grabs you by the hand, pulls you behind a closed locked door, and you have this one-on-one -on -one moment with the actor, right? right? And they respond to you and they interact and you can talk and say whatever you want and they will roll with it. And, and that's really powerful, right? And it also doesn't scale at all, right? Like you know, <laughs> right. super expensive, you know, humans are the most expensive. And, and so it's really gonna be tough to give that experience to everybody in your 3000 person show. But an AI can do that. And so all of a sudden you can start to give people this whole new entertainment experience and, and you're, you know, and, and it'll happen first digitally. So, so to, to Adam's point, all of a sudden you get this, this special moment that is really, it's, it's Travis Scott or it's an AI inspired Travis Scott that, that, you know, you now get to have your character you know, interact with. It's, it's like the, the difference between you can either charge people a lot of money and only sell to 10 people, or you can charge people not a lot of money and sell to millions of people, right? And I think that by doing both, your 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 most hardcore fans, like if you're Dua Lipa and you're going on, on, on tour, you're setting out your tour for, uh, for next year for the US, um, maybe you only go to five cities as opposed to 20 cities or something like that. Um, and maybe those tickets cost a little bit more than they used to. Um, but you have $20 tickets to your live streams that are available to everybody. Um, and I think that that those, obviously it's going to be different depending on the, the offering and, and sort of your fan base, but those, that to me feels much more sort of future-proof than one or the other, right? If you're doing both. I like that. Uh, and, and you could even imagine a third that, you know, in the early days, a $50 virtual ticket will get you the the, the, the personalized Travis Scott experience. Right, right. right. 
Yeah, like virtual meet and greets are a thing, right? And people are willing to pay for them, apparently. So it's not worth as much as as a, as a you know backstage VIP pass at an actual concert, but it's worth more than 20 bucks. So Worth more than 20? What's the cameo version? I would say a cameo. That's yeah. perfect, right? <laughs> people are willing to pay, I mean, what, Charlie Sheen's $5,000 or whatever it is. It's like, and that's wow, just for wow. a, like a virtual hello. <laughs> um, the, the guy from Silicon Valley, the, the doors that go like this and like this, yeah. I guess he is just cleaning up on cameo. <laughs> 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 Rob, Ross Hanneman. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of, of, of ticketing, um, I think like that's an interesting subject of how it might be changing to be like more contactless in the sense that when you go to, you know, these offline events um, and thinking about these, this like logistical of how it all comes together, you know, are people going to be wanting to interact with, you know, tickets or paper money? Is it going to be more like just like Apple payments, tap to pay, or even Adam, what you had brought up previously uh, this week is kind of like what, what clear is doing uh, getting into the space of providing that contactless ticketing, um, you know, through almost biometrics, it seems like. So I, I am really conflicted about this topic because, you know, we, when we, in March, we knew very little about this virus. And so right. we did the thing that we do, which is we went to full lockdown while we figured it out. Now we've had the biggest global study of COVID transmission the world has ever seen, right? And it's been global and it's been, you know, we've, we've learned a hell of a lot about, about this virus, right? We know that you get it, you know, th through the air or in your eyes, right? We, we, you know, and frankly, we learned that fomites aren't really a thing, right? You know, like, like the, 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 the studies that showed that you could get it from touching something else were like the equivalent of 10,000 people sneezing on that one area. And if you touch that, you, right? I mean, that's just yeah. not going to happen. Right. And so, so the, the, the part that worries me the most is that I feel like it, it is taking longer for people to sort of update their worldview about what to be worried about. You know, yep. you don't need to clean your, you know your 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 groceries anymore. You know, right. like like while that made sense to do in the early days when you didn't know, you know, you don't need to do that now. And so as a result, now don't get me wrong, there we this was the ultimate wake up call for America about viruses. There will be future viruses where fomites might be a thing, and contactless is something we should really solve. And and I'm really and you know uh, uh, interested in that. But I do really want to make sure that that folks update their thinking about you know about covid you know and mm -hmm. and the things that are you should truly be worried about covid I think contactless is interesting i think it is not that relevant post covid for for covid as a result yeah i mean i think where this is is coming from um brent i don't know if you're familiar with this um basically this program that clear which you know for the airport security clear thing oh yeah it, i'm a clear it, member i love it yeah yeah so they but they've been working with Ticketmaster on a, a system i i actually think the biometric stuff i think that's just clear being like we already know how to do biometric stuff so we want to do biometric stuff and it's low friction which is great i mean hey yeah. take yeah. out of my life that i will do all day long regardless <laughs> of whether there's a virus in the mix you know <laughs> yeah i mean i think the more interesting part is that they are at least theoretically, tying it to these these uh, databases of people who have been vaccinated, or or and or have uh, like a twenty four hour recent test of being COVID negative, so that you can actually scan screen people and say, look, you can come to this concert if you've been vaccinated or if you've tested negative in the past twenty four hours, um, but you need one of those to sort of get in this venue. I so was wondering who was going to do this. <laughs> the, the vaccine thing makes a little more sense to me um, that obviously there will be some sort of database of that. The testing, I, 
I'm not sure about all those pieces coming, how quickly those pieces are all going to come together, but it's, uh, that is the, is sort of the impulse there is that Ticketmaster is like, we need to have concerts. And so they're figuring out a way to have, have, you know, 10,000 person concerts again. Well, that's fantastic. And to kind of wrap up the conversation, you know, bring this back to brands for a moment, we know experiential marketing has always been a big part of, um, you know, a brand's strategy, whether that's their go-to-market strategy, a launch strategy. And so how do we see experimental marketing starting to evolve, for example, with live events? Yeah, I love I love that question because I do, you know, I completely am still a believer in live. And, and mm-hmm. I think the big shift is to think of the live event as the broadcast studio. You know, this is the people who came mm-hmm. to the, or are coming to the live event are the ultimate fans to, to Adam's point, right? These are the, the most dedicated. So that's great. You want them there. They're going to be talking and tweeting and sharing the, 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 the experience of the live. And that's super special. But but the live is is the epicenter of now all of this content radiating out into the internet. And so really plan and think about what is the what is the virtual experience? For the people that can't come live, what is the virtual experience beyond just following the tweets and the Instagrams and whatever else? But that there is a real show, a run of show for your virtual side of this event. And so, so there's more work there. You're now planning a physical event and a virtual event. But but I think the 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 result, the the benefit is massive you know so much more awareness right the, the ability for it to touch so many more people and you know television went through this whole arc right you could you could drive across the country and wait in line to go to the prices right or you could tune in live for way easier you know and they touched way more people you know with the remote version but you needed the live version to make it possible right the, the mm-hmm. all the content radiated out from that live and so think of every event like that it was just reading about a a cosmetics company, a retail cosmetics company, and they're live streaming all the time from their retail store. And, and that's, that's that, I think the right model to think about this is that your, your, your live is the broadcast studio. That's the most exciting you know, spot. And for those that can't be there, they get to at least participate. Yeah, I mean, I was I'm just thinking about the center of gravity being the live thing. Like, we, we've been talking a lot about, you know, um, this is a totally separate conversation. We've been talking a lot about uh, what's happening in the entertainment industry with uh, Warner Media putting all of their shows on HBO Max, and uh, you know what is the future of entertainment if theatrical isn't there or isn't as big because that's always been the way that you de- establish those uh, that intellectual property that then you can you know spin out over over uh, decades. But so what happens if that goes away, basically, like what's the new center of gravity? And I think, uh, yeah, I think that that in, at least in the short term, that center of gravity still is that live event. It's just that there's other stuff around it. Right. And it's 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 reaching out beyond that. And then maybe in the long run, there's more there's a second moon that's coming in that is more gravity with the with some of the online events as we develop new and more interesting ways to interact online. So Adam and Brent, this is a new term uh, that I've heard today on the podcast, this center of gravity, and there's a second moon coming in now. I don't know if it's, if it's a Death Star or not. So can we just ex- like just get a bit deeper into how the both of you were thinking about this idea of a center of gravity uh, and really how these digital channels might act more as acquisition channels if we put it into marketing terms um, for our brands and our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a little hard to define exactly, but I think the center of gravity I would describe as like the place or moment or uh, piece of media that is the thing that, you know, everything else coalesces around and that sort of drives the industry and the consumer 
mindset and consumer focus. That's what I'm sort of saying about, you know, center of gravity. For retail, the center of gravity has been physical retail stores, um, where even if you were selling online, it was the, the physical stores were sort of the the primary retail experience and and the the online shopping experience was usually secondary um, and I, I think what we we're seeing now and what we're saying now is that in cases like that it's already shifted right our, our experience shifted to e-commerce for sure uh, nine months ago so um, you know the, and and I think there is a little bit of a tension there of like some people will want to stay with this e-commerce experience for everything um, and some people are are hoping or assuming that things are going to go back to that physical retail footprint. And I think what we're saying is you kind of have to do both, like both have to be first class experiences. Um, and at least in this, in, you know, in, in the short term, while we see has that center of center of gravity shifted uh, permanently um, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's totally e-commerce now and your stores can go into sort of the, the Casper model where your stores are really about, uh, 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 more about marketing than they are about sales. And Adam, I love where, where you're where you're at, and and I think that that marketing piece, you know, d analyzing exactly where we are in the consumer experience, you know, because for 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 some folks, the retail experience is the the moment of discovery. That's the you know, it is a marketing piece. You yeah, know I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm in Los Angeles, and Abbott Kinney is. You know, the places on Abbott Kinney are more billboards than they yeah. are, you know, active revenue generating machines. You know, I mean, the rents that they're charging, <laughs> could no, you know, most of those businesses cannot be making money for that rent, you know, right. but they but what it represents for their brands to be on Abbott Kinney, to be on Rodeo Drive, to be able to, you know, uh, uh, expose customers to their brand that way they monetize elsewhere. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's a perfect way to end this uh, this week's episode of Floor 9. Um, so Brent, thank you so much for joining us on the conversation about the future of events in 2021. Uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Uh, and do you have anything to plug? Thanks, you guys. Well, I really appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, tune in. We got, we run our, 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 our game show, our remote game show every Thursday at seven o'clock Pacific. So we'd love to have you for that. It's a ton of fun. Uh, we've got a holiday show this week, so so tune in. You can sign up at 2bitcircus.com. Um, we're on all of the socials at that same handle. Uh, and me personally at Brent Bushnell on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Um, so would love to uh, would love to talk. Fantastic. Well, Brent, thank you so much. It was always a pleasure. Uh, and congratulations on the new baby. Uh, thank you so much. I'm <laughs> completely obsessed. Uh, it's, I'm going to go wrestle with him right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, talk to you later, Brent. Bye.